Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Matthew. The Gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 13. The Gospel record of Matthew and chapter number 13. We're at the beginning parts of a series of the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom is the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. This is an event that is going to be in our future. But what we're doing now as we're introducing this series is that we're putting together the building blocks. We're putting together the foundation, defining terms, and explaining how things work. And as we get to the gospel record of Matthew chapter 13, we're going to watch as the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give a parable. And in this parable, it is going to give us a good understanding about the millennial kingdom, about salvation, about the Lord's program and plan, and the difference in the how the Jewish people, the Hebrew people are involved, and how the Gentile people are involved. And this is important because we need to make sure that the right promises go to the right people, that we can have an understanding of how things work, so we can be as biblically correct as possible. So with that in mind, turn with me, if you don't mind, to the gospel record of Matthew. The gospel record of Matthew in chapter number 13. And if you don't mind, we're just going to spend our time in one verse. Matthew 13, and notice with me in verse number 44. Matthew chapter 13, and in verse number 44, notice this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. That which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 13? The gospel record of Matthew chapter 13, and notice with me in verse 44, this phrase, treasure hid treasure hid. And with this, we want to do a parable of the hidden treasure. The parable of the hidden treasure. With that in mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm just asking that you would give grace, that you would give mercy, give us understanding. Help us, Lord, to be able to discern and to follow after this. Thank you again for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to open up your Bible. And as we come up to you, Lord, I'm very conscious of my weakness of my physical body. I understand the frailties. Lord, there's something going on with my throat again. But Lord, I'm praying that you would take those even now so they won't be a distraction to these folks. They wouldn't be a hindrance to me. And that you can get your own work accomplished in such a way that people are keeping their eyes on you. 
Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to be understood, help us to be able to discern this, and that we could walk away excited saying, wow, what a God, and that we would just be amazed at your manifest wisdom. Thank you again. Fill me with your spirit, and you bless and honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we turn to Matthew 33 and look at verse 44, verse number 44 is its own self-contained parable, meaning an entire parable is given in one verse. Now, normally as people are reading Matthew 13, there's a lot of parables in here and they get one after another after another. That May I say that because verse 44, uh, the way that it is, is often skipped. Okay, there's something here, but go on. But may I say verse 44 has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of things to dig through as it talks about this parable of the hidden treasures. Now, as we set this up, let's go ahead and hit the context of what's going on here. In Matthew chapter number 30, 13 is a chapter dealing with what is often called the kingdom parables. At the beginning of the parables, they start with the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. You'll see this all the way through chapter number 13 as it gives these parables here. Verse number 24, for example, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven. It continues to go on. Verse number 44, the kingdom of heaven. Verse number 45, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 47, the kingdom of heaven, and so on and so forth. This is why this is called the kingdom parables, because over and over, almost in rapid fire succession, we get a lot of these kingdom parables here. Now with this, let's define what we mean. The kingdom of heaven is a term that is only used in the gospel record of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is a term that is only used inside of the gospel record of Matthew. Now that's very key and very significant. Why is it that this term is used here? Well, this helps us to understand more context. The gospel record of Matthew is written to the Hebrew mindset. The gospel record of Matthew is written to the Hebrew mindset. Over and over, the, the gospel record of Matthew is to show that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to the Hebrew people. The gospel record of Matthew deals very often with the promises specifically given to the Hebrew people throughout the Old Testament. So these kingdom parables are going to relate to these promises that God made to the Hebrew people. So as Jesus Christ is describing this, we could see that the kingdom of heaven is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies made to the Hebrew people that they would have a king and an upcoming kingdom that this king would bring. So this keeps in mind that these promises are covering, rehashing, and bringing brought to the Hebrew people. This is going to be key and important. If you don't catch this, you're going to miss this whole parable and how important this is. That this is to the Hebrew people. In this chapter, Jesus Christ is, is describing the type of kingdom that he, the king, is going to be establishing in the future concerning the Hebrew people. The phrase the kingdom of heaven is used to differentiate the difference between the earthly kingdoms that are currently ruling 
and this new kingdom that Jesus Christ will be bringing in. That it will be so different that it would almost be like heaven on earth. The kingdom that Jesus Christ will bring is going to bring a perfect king. The kingdom that Jesus Christ will be ushering in will have a perfect government. That the kingdom that Jesus Christ will bring will remove the curse of the ground and bring perfect conditions. It will be almost in comparison to what we have now, heaven on earth. So the kingdom of heaven is referring to the specific promises God had made to the Hebrew people and that he is showing how Jesus Christ is going to bring in this kingdom according to those prophecies. Does that make sense? We're setting the stage. This is all dealing with the prophecies and promises God made to the Hebrew people. So with this, let's break down this parable. And by the way, there is a lot in this one verse that we're going to learn. Notice, first of all, the treasure, the treasure. Verse 44, the, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, unto treasure. What is this treasure? Well, as we're defining this terms here, it says this treasure is hidden in a field. Well, in verse number 38, Jesus has already referred to a different parable and he describes what this field is. Notice verse 38. The field is the word world. All right, well, that makes it pretty simple. So this treasure is hid in a field. The field is the world. So this treasure is there. What is this treasure? The treasure is the Hebrew people. The treasure is Israel. All right, stay with me, guys. This is going to be foundational. What is this treasure? This treasure is Israel. Over and over throughout the Bible, God has called Israel his peculiar treasure. Hold your finger here and let me show you a couple places. Notice with me in the book of um, Exodus. Let's start in Exodus, Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, the Lord has brought through Moses and the people, he's brought them into, um, out of Egypt. They're now right outside of Mount Sinai, and they're going to receive the Ten Commandments in the next chapter. Exodus 19, they're now gathered around Sinai. They're doing some preparatory work. And notice what God has to say concerning the Hebrew people, the book of Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus 19 and verse 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Ye have seen what I have done unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagle's wing, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for the all the earth is mine. Now, in this specific context, God is saying, Israel is my peculiar treasure. Let's define our terms now. What's peculiar? Does it peculiar mean strange and that they're kind of lopsided? The word peculiar in the Bible means something that belongs wholly to. For example, somewhere on your papers, if you are keeping notes, draw a circle. It doesn't have to be a big circle, but draw a circle. And then I want you to put a dot in the middle of that circle. 
that dot would be peculiar to that circle. What do I mean by that? That that dot belongs wholly to that circle. It doesn't belong to anything else but that circle. That's what the word peculiar means. It means to be belonging wholly to it. It is part of that circle. That circle encloses it. That that dot is peculiar to it. Well, God is saying, you as the Hebrew people, Israel, you belong wholly to me. You don't belong to anyone else. You are my peculiar treasure. I'm not sharing you with anyone else. You are my treasure. That's how I see you, is my treasure. Notice with me in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and let's see something else that God said about these Hebrew people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and notice with me in verse 6. Once again, God is speaking about his people Israel. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So in verse six, he says, you're a special people unto myself. You are special to me. I want you completely to me. Verse number seven, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had swore unto your fathers, and hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments for a thousand generations. Here God is telling them that you are my special people, not because you were the coolest or not because you were the biggest or because you were the most fantastic. He says, I just chose to love you just because. I chose to love you and I'm going to be your God and I'm going to keep those promises to you and I have something planned for you and I'm not going to forsake them. I am God. I'm going to keep my word to you. You're my special people, not because of how great you are, but because how great I am, God is saying. Now, we're seeing that this treasure is Israel and that God has a special plan for Israel. He has a desire for them. In Psalm 135, don't turn there, but I'll read it for you. Psalm 135, 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and for Israel his peculiar treasure. Over and over throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, Hebrew people, Israel is my peculiar treasure. I love them. I love them just because I love them. I made promises to them, and I'm going to keep those promises to them, not because of them, but because of me. We could see what this treasure is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. This treasure is Israel. Turn back with me if you don't mind, and let's examine this passage. So again, we're understanding who is being talked about. The treasure is Israel. Notice something else we see. Not only the treasure, we see the treasure hidden. The treasure hidden. Notice with me verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field. A treasure that is hid in a field. So what we see here, this treasure was hidden. 
Now, remember that God chose these people and he chose to love them. He started with Abraham and promised Abraham that they would become a special people to him. And that from Abraham, that he would have a seed that would be unnumerable. You look at the stars in the sky. If you could count them, let you know that your people are going to be more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands of the sea. I have plans for you. And out of these people, I'm going to bring blessings. And from these people, I'm going to bring a blessing into the world. I have a plan for it. So God made a promise to Abraham. He was given (laughs) Abraham the promise that he would have a son. And Abraham waited and waited and waited. God finally allowed Abraham to have a son when Abraham was 100 years old. He took all that time to wait to get that son of promise. And that son of promise came by the name of Isaac. Well, one day Isaac got married and he had a son by the name of Jacob. And Jacob carried that promise. Jacob had a lot of things go wrong and ended up having 12 sons. These 12 sons became the tribes of Israel. These 12 tribes were brought into Egypt to protect them during a famine. And while they were in Egypt, they began to multiply. They went from 70 persons who came into this land to be with Joseph and multiplied to two and a half million people. That's a lot. The two and a half million people then, as Pharaoh looked at them, said, man, this is a lot of people in our backyard. If somebody decides to attack us, what happens when we have a population of two and a half million people that decide they want to join the enemy side? We're going to be cooked. We've got to do something about these people. And so the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel and they were put into bondage. They cried out for a deliverer, so God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses was used by God to see miracles happen, and he, God, delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he brought them eventually to the promised land, a land that he had prepared for them. God said, this is your land, wherever you go, it's yours, take it. Well, they had partial obedience and took some of the land, And God had designed it so that they would have to look to God and find out God's will for themselves. Well, that takes too much work. So every man did what was right in his own eyes. Until finally they said, listen, we can't make decisions in our own. We need someone. Let's have a king like the rest of the world. And so they picked a king after their own heart by the name of Saul. Well, after Saul reigned for 40 years, God placed a king after his own heart by the name of David. Well, David had a son who ruled after him by the name of Solomon. Well, Solomon ruled for 40 years and then he had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, because of the foolish choices that he made, divided the kingdom into two. That the northern kingdom was ruled by Jeroboam, the southern king was, kingdom was ruled by Rehoboam. The northern kingdom ended up having 18 kings, all of them were evil, and eventually the Assyrian Empire took them captive and spread them all throughout the world in 722 BC. The southern kingdom of Judah had five good kings. They had 18 kings in all, five of them good, the rest of them were evil or neutral. 
And eventually in 586 BC, those people were scattered by the Babylonian empire. Now at this time, the Hebrew people are scattered throughout the world. There was a time where the Jewish people, which is from the tribe of Judah. So you have 10 tribes that are still scattered about. You have one tribe that kind of returned home for a little bit. They established a kingdom, but again, because of their disobedience in 70 AD, the Roman empire came and leveled Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and permanently scattered the rest of the people. At this time now, we still have Jewish people, but they are scattered throughout the world. We know that in 1948, they did try to establish a nation of Israel, but most of the people have not returned. In fact, there are more Jewish people living in New York than the entire country of Israel. The people are still scattered. This is what we find here in this setting is that the Jewish people who are God's treasure are hidden throughout the world. There's not one place where you could go find the Jewish people. They are scattered throughout the entire field. There's a treasure that is hidden. But let me tell you, God is not finished with his promises. God still has promises to the Hebrew people, even though they are scattered. So we could see this treasure that is hidden. In addition, <clears throat> the New Testament, the last nine books of the Bible are called the Hebrew Christian Church Epistles. They're primarily written to the Hebrew uh, people who are converted and accepted Christ as their Savior. But the Jewish people are scattered, and in fact, you'll see that to the scattered brethren. You see that addressed in the book of 1 Peter. This is to the brethren that are scattered all throughout. So we start off by having a treasure. The treasure is Israel. We can see that the treasure is hidden. That currently, right now, that all throughout the world, the Jewish people are scattered. It's not in one place. But God still has promises to those Hebrew people. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the man who found the treasure. The man who found the treasure. Notice, if you don't mind, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found. So we can see there's a man who found the treasure. Jesus Christ came back on this earth for the purpose of finding this treasure. He addressed the people of Israel. He tried to make an honest reply to try to be their king. But they, they denied him. And they said, we will not have him rule over them. So what happened is that the man hid the treasure. Notice again, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. That the witch, when a man hath found, he found this treasure. So in this parable, here's a man who goes out into the middle of the field and he starts digging and he finds a treasure and he looks, oh, this is great. The thing is, is that it's not his field. So now he found the treasure. He knows where it's at. So he buries it again because it's not his to take. So he put, buries it again. And the treasure's hidden. But it's not forgotten about because God still has promises to get the treasure. Notice with me, hold your finger here and turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. So <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ had come down for the purpose 
of addressing the Hebrew people to bring them to himself. But they denied him. Matthew 21 verse 43. Matthew 21 and verse 43. Therefore I say unto you that the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. See, Jesus Christ made an honest attempt to say, I am here to be your king. And the Jewish people said, no, we don't want you. They denied their king. So Jesus said, all right, fine. I'll bury you again. But I have plans for you. I haven't forgotten you. You may have rejected me, but I still got plans. So he allowed the treasure to be buried. God did not stop his work with the rejected Israel. God continues to do his work, but now there's a pause as he's going to deal with the people of, he, of Israel later. We covered this in an earlier session. Now he is dealing with the church, but God has not forgotten about the Hebrew people. He is going to go back on purpose to deal with them. We know that the real commentary on this verse is actually going to be found in Romans chapter uh, 9 through 11. Hold your finger here. Let's just kind of highlight a couple things in here. Romans chapter 9 through 11, you have Paul, who is an apostle to the Gentiles, but he is also a Hebrew person. And he is relating in here God's love to the Hebrew people that God has not rejected or set aside the Hebrew people that he still has a purpose in them. Notice with me Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, notice with me verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness of the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises." Here we could see Paul's heart, which is echoing God's heart. That God's saying, I don't want them to perish. I don't want them to die. I want them to be redeemed. Paul goes so far to say, I wish that I could take the punishment for them. I wish I could go to hell if it would save every one of my fellow Israelites. What great love that was there. This is God's own heart. He, even though the Hebrew people rejected him, he still wants them to be saved. And by the way, God promised to the Hebrew people that they would have salvation offered to them. And God has not rejected that. Just another preview, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. But all this passage is still dealing with how God wants Israel to be saved. God wants him to be saved. Once again, Romans chapter 11. We're just hitting some highlights in these three chapters that pour out God's heart for his people Israel. Romans 11, notice with me verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace then is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, there's no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. Notice with me verse number um, 25. Romans eleven twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye shall 
be in wise in your own conceits. And the blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Here, <laughs> it's seeing God's heart. God doesn't want Israel to be saved. And he's going to be working with the Hebrew people. He hasn't neglected them. One day when the Gentiles and the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, he's going to go back and work with his people, Israel. Of course, we had talked about this in God's time frame in the book of Daniel that we had spoken about. There were 69 weeks of prophecy that's already been fulfilled. Now there's a parenthesis period where God is working with the Gentile people through the church. And there's going to be a time when that age is finished. And there's one more week of prophecies left to be fulfilled, seven years, where God is going to primarily deal with the Hebrew people for the purpose of bringing them to himself. What we see in this parable, back to Matthew chapter 13, that <clears throat> there was a treasure, Israel, that's hidden in the field. A man comes out and finds the treasure. All right, I want this treasure. But remember, Israel rejected him. So the man buried the treasure back into the field. It's now hidden. But his desire is to get that treasure. Does that make sense? His desire, he wants that treasure. So how does he get that treasure? Notice what he does, verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like to the treasure hid in the field that which a man hath found he hideth and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath. So this man finds his treasure. This is a special treasure to him. He pulls him up and realizes that he, in order to get it properly, it's not his field yet, but he really wants it. So he buries it again. And in order to get it, he sells everything that he has for this treasure. By the way, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for those people? Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. Then Jesus Christ gave all that he had. He gave his very life on the cross of Calvary to get that treasure what was that treasure? That treasure was the Hebrew people. That God had always desired to get that Hebrew people. This is a special treasure to him. And he always wanted to have them. And he's doing whatever he could. He gave everything he had. By the way, God in the Old Testament promised the Hebrew people salvation. What is salvation? It is the forgiveness of sins. That we all owe God a price for the wages of sin is death. That there's a price because of our sins. That something has to die. That God promised that he would give them salvation. Provide someone to take their place. To pay the punishment for them so they wouldn't have to. And all they would have to do is accept that promise. To accept that gift. Jesus Christ did that. He wanted those people to, die, uh, to be saved. To be forgiven of their sins. So something had to die. He died in their place. Jesus Christ died to fulfill the promises and the prophecies given to the Hebrew people to give them salvation. This is why Jesus talks to the woman of the well in John chapter 4 when he says salvation is of the Jews. Meaning that salvation is there because of the Hebrew people and the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And Jesus did it with joy. Hebrews 12, 2, don't turn there. But it said, for the joy of the cross. 
that Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before us, before him, endured the cross, suffering the shame. Jesus went to the cross with joy. Why? Because he was given everything he had to get that treasure. He wanted the Hebrew people saved and he gave everything he had. Now, notice in Matthew 13, verse 44 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field that which a man hath found he hath hidden. And for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and notice this, and buyeth that field. In order to get the treasure that's on the land, he brought all that land so he could have that treasure. When Jesus Christ died on the cross to save the Hebrew people, in order to save the Hebrew people, he made salvation available for everyone. What a wonderful God. Why is salvation available to us as Gentiles? Because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for the Hebrew people, and it was enough to buy the whole field. All of us now can enjoy salvation because of God's love for his special people, Israel. Isn't that amazing? What great love that God had towards his people. And by the way, if God had that much love towards his people, he hasn't forsaken them or set them aside. He still has plans for them. But we as Gentiles get to enjoy because of the promises here. If you don't mind, notice with me in Matthew 13 verse 44. And let's kind of read this parable again, but also put in the interpretation thereof and see it in its entirety. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. That treasure is Israel. That was hid, means scattered everywhere, in a field, the world, which a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath found. He came to this earth. He hideth, he hid it because they rejected him. He set them aside for a time. And for the joy that thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, he gave absolutely everything. Christ went to Calvary to bleed and die. Why? So he could buy the field to have the treasure. What a wonderful God that we have. Now, for us, we need to put prophecy in its proper place. Prophecy was given primarily to the Hebrew people, especially for the millennial kingdom. You understand, the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of prophecies to the Hebrew people. We as Gentiles get to enjoy those benefits because of the promises to the Hebrew people. Salvation was made promises to the Hebrew people. But because God died for the Hebrew people, it was also enough to buy the whole field. We are enjoying the benefits of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. The problem that happens in prophecy is when we as Gentiles try to hijack prophecies and assume that the prophecies are about us when they're for the Hebrew people. But it puts it in a different context. If we're going to have a proper understanding of prophecy, we have to understand that most prophecy is made for the Hebrew people and we are just beneficiaries of those promises as they're fulfilled. There's so much wrapped up in this one single verse. 
that God loved the Hebrew people so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to give them salvation of their sins, full, free, and forever. And yet in order to pay for their price, he also paid for our price as well. What a wonderful God that shows what great love he had towards his people and that we get to benefit a part of that. Which brings us to the question, are you a beneficiary of this promise? Meaning, have you ever come to the place where you personally realized that you were a sinner and because of your sin that you have violated God's law and you deserved punishment, you deserved separation from God? But then you realize that Jesus died so you can have salvation. You can have forgiveness of sins full, free, or forever. And you came to the place where you personally accepted Christ to be your Savior. Let me tell you that the greatest thing that can happen is for you to get that settled. For the rest of us who are saved, isn't it a humbling thing that God loved the Hebrew people that much? But yet it was enough that we can enjoy those promises too? We can enjoy that as well. What a wonderful God. When you meditate this, this puts things in order. It should humble us a little bit. Sometimes it's not all about us. And we have to be aware of this. Be careful of the promises. This also helps set a foundation of the millennial kingdom and understanding that these are promises made to the Hebrew people and that we are going to be beneficiaries. We'll talk more about this in detail, but this is something we have to set in order. Who are the promises to? Who's he speaking to? How do they apply? And where do we as Gentiles fit in? There are promises that God did make to us Gentiles that we need to pay attention to. There are promises that God made to the Hebrew people, and we have to pay attention to those as well. What a great God who knows what he is doing. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.